0: Hi, everyone, and
1: welcome to another episode of the Galit Speaks podcast. Super excited to introduce you to Pei Carter. Um, She is an author and public speaker specializing in mental health, invisible disabilities, and trauma. They live with multiple conditions such as Ehlers-Danlos, dysautonomia, PTSD, autism, and avoidance restrictive food intake disorder. Pay and her daughter are seeing their first picture book, Bendy Bones and Stretchy Skins, and Aller Danlos' book this fall. I'm so excited to have you
0: here, Pei. Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about what you and your daughter both have, and can you kind of explain the syndrome? And
0: Oh, yeah, sure. So Aller Danlos' syndrome is a... Um, collection of tissue connectivity disorders. So basically for somebody that has EDS, the collagen in their body is faulty. And of course our whole body is made up of tissue, right? So when that tissue isn't made correctly, it can affect almost everything. So how I kind of like to say it is it's kind of like say building a body with a glue stick versus using super glue. (laughs) That's the, that's That's the basics. Um, There's multiple different subtypes. Uh, My daughter and I have the form called hypermobile. So while there is some hypermobility in everyone that has EDS, um, we are very, very, very hypermobile. So everything from our neck down to our toes, um, you can kind of think of it as some people used to say double jointed. So it's it's similar to that, but with literally all of our joints.
1: Yeah. And so one of the things that happens with invisible disabilities is that you don't look sick. And so people think that you're making it up or pretending or just looking for attention. Have you encountered
0: that? Sure. So with Ehlers-Danlos, it's very common um, because it's a tissue connectivity disorder. It has a comorbidity with Everything pretty much. Um, autism, um, which I have, the postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, dysautonomia, pretty much all of my conditions, there's a comorbidity uh, with EDS. And I have eight different ones. So I, and they're all invisible, most impacting me physically. So I am the poster child <laughs> of invisible disabilities. Um, so I do a counter. A lot of issues in the community, so advocacy is just really important to me. Uh, for example, you know, when you think about disability plates, um, the kind of com- common, you know, idea within society is you know it's got to be something physical. Like we have to physically see you can't walk, or you have to be missing a limb, or elderly. And you know, when you see people that don't fit those categories, right? It's very confusing for people, um, and for me. So my EDS does cause like chronic joint pain. I've had um, bones fused, things like that. But actually the primary reason why I have my disability at plates is because my body doesn't regulate temperature. When I was 29, I got shingles and it damaged different parts of my autonomic system including the ability to regulate temperature. So basically like the internal thermostat in my body is broken. So I don't sweat. I haven't sweat in about seven years. <laughs> Um, So I don't know when I'm overheating, my body doesn't do what it's supposed to, same thing with the cold. And so, you know, when you're in an air conditioned car and then you get out into the, you know, 80 plus heat and humidity in the Midwest and then into an air conditioned store, my body can't regulate those quick changes, very severe changes. So I can get very dizzy. Um, I can pass out on occasion. And so I have disability plates so I can be as close to the store as possible because sometimes Target, Walmart, et cetera, is really busy and you have to park all the way down. And it's such a hard adjustment for me, Uh, but people don't don't know that they don't understand that. Um, And even, you know, along with that dizziness, you know, I have a walker that sometimes I use and it's not because of difficulty walking, but because if I get dizzy, I can have, you know, something to sit on. So I don't use a walker correctly, like how people think a walker should be used. So every day, you know, I'm reminded about, you know, that the advocacy work and what people with invisible disabilities experience, because, you know, I've had people approach me, I've had people take pictures of me getting out of my car. You know, I've, I've had one time using a walk, my walker with a basket. I turned to, like, look at a table. We were at a fair and I turned back and there's garbage. Somebody put garbage in my walker. <laughs> <sighs> so there's, like, advocacy work is just, it's just part of my daily existence. <laughs>
1: yeah, i I can only imagine because there was a period of time in my life where I also had, like, the a disability um not plates but a placard um after i had spinal surgery and i know that i was always scared to park in the handicapped spaces even though i knew that i could not physically walk more than that Mm -hmm. distance but i knew that because i would get out of the car walking and because my car was like low to the ground and didn't look like a car that should be for a disabled person you know that i would encounter people thinking i was faking or that i stole the plates from someone or that i stole a placard from someone and i feel like unfortunately there has been so much of that and and i like personally know someone who i i was shocked to discover that like they take their parents you know, placard and use it every once in a while. And I was just like, yeah, this is why
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: they've met those people and have not met people like you. And so I'm really, I'm really glad that you are so vocal and getting out there and getting the message out that not every disability is visible and you still deserve the same rights
0: and, Mm
1: -hmm. you know, Um, adjustments made for you.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, You know, and with my daughter, she has more symptoms with EDS as a kid than I did. I didn't really have any symptoms um, or issues until I went into the military. So, and of course, running on concrete with joints that are hypermobile. (laughs) You can probably imagine what has happened to the lower half of my body. Um, you know, but she has she has accommodations like speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, it, but she doesn't look like she needs them. Right. And so she very frequently going through elementary school had every every time she switched to grade had kids like, why do you get a special chair? Why do you get to take walk breaks? Why do you you know get to leave the class for a little bit? And we don't. Why you know do you sometimes get to use a keyboard or the teacher writes for you? And so just helping her learn how to become an advocate for herself has been really important because I think, you know, as a child, nobody's really taught that, right? Regardless of, you know, if you have accommodations because of a disability or you're just, you know, a typical able-bodied kid, you know, you have people that advocate for you for the most part, right? Parents, guardians teachers, things like that. And then you go into adulthood and you don't have those skills. (laughs) You know, you go into college and you're basically responsible for your education without, you know, any of that. So I've just been trying really hard to help her find her own voice and advocate for herself, um, you know, teach her how to explain things. So I was very proud that, you know, she's leaving elementary school now that she wanted to do this picture book to help other kids That um, have EDS or invisible illnesses know that they're not alone and that there's other kids that are going through that and experiencing it. But then also for typical kids to understand why looking, you know, going to school can look different for others. Yeah.
1: And tell me a little bit about the process to getting diagnosed because you said that it didn't happen for you later in life, but it's happening for your daughter. I guess you were able to recognize the symptoms, but what happens? um, for like, let's say a parent doesn't know the symptoms and, and they're just trying to get it figured out, what would be the process for them?
0: Well, Ehlers-Danlos is hereditary. I think, you know, depending, I don't know the info about every single subtype. Um, I know with the type that I have, it's a 50-50 chance. So, my daughter has it, but my son doesn't. He does have some like flexibility in some of his joints, but it's not to the point where he has, you know, an official diagnosis of EDS. Um, So usually there's some sort of idea, Um, you know, with her, she was very, very, very Bundy, very Bundy. And she, when she was a little kid, so with, with EDS, because it affects the tissue, you get fragile skin, poor wound healing. So you get you know, infections, easy cuts, bruises, um, things like that. She had chronic ear infections as an infant, like back to back. She had tubes twice. Um, you know, so she spent those, if you want to say formative years, right. When a toddler is learning how to speak, basically being underwater, um, you know, and so that's why she still has, still has speech therapy. Um, but you know, we noticed, gosh, okay. She's really flexible. Um, She's, you know, having some other like GI issues and things like that. That's common with EDS because tissue, you know, tissue connectivity disorder. Um, So I kind of suspected once I was diagnosed, I was immediately like, I'm going to take my kids to um, get checked out because I want them to know. Like I said, I didn't know. Um, I think in high school, you know, occasionally I had foot pain and a doctor was like, oh, your foot's, you know, it's a bit flexible. You know, it wasn't until I went into the military and, um started having some really like excruciating foot pain that I went to the doctor and even then they didn't know it was EDS. Um, So to give you an idea, right? If your foot is flat on the ground, you can kind of turn your toes like here, right? I could turn mine all the way over. (laughs) Whoa, okay. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so, you know, I had my first major surgery when I was 21, I had my, my left foot permanently fused I still didn't know that I had EDS. Um, It wasn't until, you know, I got shingles and I got POTS and dysautonomia and I was going through physical therapy where they're just like, we're not gonna touch you here because you're hypermobile, you're hypermobile here, you're hypermobile here. And then, you know, being in the POTS and dysautonomia community, you know, you hear EDS come up a lot. And so I was like, hmm, maybe I should go (laughs) get, you know, examined. For me i was really lucky i use the i have a hundred percent va rating um so i have a service connected for ptsd so i went to the madison va and they work a lot with uw health as well like some of the uw health doctors you know come and fill in at the va so i got diagnosed pretty quickly um with eds so it's very lucky Well, it took me a while to like actually find out i had it um you know once i got diagnosed or, you know, it was in, It was, you know, kind of, all right, I probably have this. I was diagnosed very quickly, which isn't true for most people with EDS. It can take about seven to 12 years and five to seven doctors to get diagnosed. Um, so once I found out, I'd immediately took my doctor or my kids to see a doctor because, you know, I didn't want them, go, you know, going into the military <laughs> or some other occupation, you know, when they're having their first major surgery by 21. They're second at 25. Um, so,
1: and I think, um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but one of like the keys that I found to really getting the diagnosis is as crazy as it sounds, but like, if you know something is wrong, then don't trust the doctor who is telling you it's not wrong. Um, and just keep advocating for yourself over and over and over i know that's that has been my experience um first as a a teenager um i had severe spinal issues i had uh severely herniated discs and um i it presented as knee pain and i just kept going to doctor after doctor after doctor and them told me i was crazy and that i was pretending for attention um and and then another one wanted to do like an exploratory surgery on my knee um just so that i would shut up um and and this was at 16 years old and my mother was like she's not crazy like i know that there's something wrong and it took just you know i think it was maybe the sixth doctor to say hey did anyone take did anyone look at your spine did you ever get an mri and i was like no and then found out i had the spine of a 50 year old construction worker at 16 oh, wow. years old yeah and so that really taught me that that first doctor might not know it all that second doctor might not know it all and i think that's really what helped because i have POTS, and i was diagnosed in eight months and it takes usually years to get diagnosed mm-hmm. with POTS. like the i think also it's around like eight years is the the average to get diagnosed with pots and and that was something that was you know like i went in and they told they kept telling me you're having panic attacks you're just you're you're mm-hmm. having panic attacks you're this is a mental issue this is not a physical issue you're you know here take some anxiety medication and i was just like I'm not anxious. I don't feel anxious until I'm already in the attack and I feel like I'm Mm -hmm. having a heart attack. Like there's something wrong. Um, and I was, you know, I would be waking up in the middle of an episode and like, there was nothing, there was no anxiety inducing event that caused this. Um, and it just took me like, kept going to doctor after doctor and saying like no I don't have anxiety you can't keep telling me that I'm crazy because I'm not and I and I finally got my diagnosis so I think it's really important for people to understand that they need to advocate for themselves because I, the medical community is community is not going to do it for you
0: Give me one second, because I think my headphones disconnected. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I, you know, I, it's very common for, I think, things to, you know, oh, it's anxiety or you're making it up. That's um, very common. I, I had a similar thing when I, so so for POTS, I don't know if everybody, you know, watching knows what, what that is, but um Your body has trouble regulating heart rate and blood pressure, especially when you change positions. Um, So I got the shingles and I was very active before then. Um, You know, I had PTSD due to military sexual trauma, but I was hiking and walking like three to 10 miles most days. Um, I was I was very very active and then I got shingles which wasn't even that bad like you, you know I've seen people where it's like all over their face it's like I don't even want to look at that I had like two small little rashes and then all of a sudden like I couldn't stand up without getting dizzy I couldn't help my son tie his shoes um, you know I I couldn't even like empty the dishwasher <laughs> like I literally all of a sudden could not do anything and you know I went to my doctor at the time who was a female physician and she sent me to cardiology and cardiology is like, Oh, your heart's fine because you know, POTS is really a neurological condition, right? It's your brain thinking I'm not getting enough blood or, you know, and so it's, it's making your heart react in ways, but it's not your heart on its own. Um, and, and it came back fine. And she's like, well, you have a PTSD diagnosis. So I think it's really just anxiety, you know, and I said, I don't get anxiety trying to help my son tie his shoes. I don't get anxiety trying to empty and load the dishwasher. Like, <laughs> or standing up, you know, at home. I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm out in public and I'm all of a sudden having, you know, a panic or anxiety attack. Like these are really like basic daily living things that I can't do. And I happened to see, be seeing a neurologist, um, have a generalized seizure disorder diagnosis, but I don't have full blown, I don't have seizures, um, just abnormal activity, but I have to go, you know, check with the doctor every six months, you know, about the med and everything. And I happen to see him a couple of weeks later and I'm explaining to him like what's going on and how dizzy I am. And he's like, I think you have (laughs) POTS, you know? And he's like, I see that in a lot of the elderly patients that I have, I'm going to send you off for testing. but it's definitely been more than one occasion where it's, you know, like you're making it up, you're, you know, you're exaggerating your symptoms and, and it's, it's frustrating. The biggest battle that I have is with the VA system. Um, It's, it's a struggle. I feel like 70% of my advocacy work and stress comes from trying to get care through the VA, Um, especially since I have some that are considered rare it's you know the va will so the va provides a lot of medical services but if there's something that you need that they can't do or you know it's it's too far out or you're too far away they send you into the community to see you know a civilian doctor or regular doctor and they'll do this where they send me to see specialists some of them are like top three in the country for their specialty for a treatment plan and then they don't want to follow it (laughs) so I'm often dealing not just with the hey I think I have this here's this 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 why here's a medical journal but then it's like okay you do have it let's send you somewhere and then let's not follow that treatment plan (laughs) so there's a lot of advocacy work that people have to do just to try to get you know basic care yeah and especially like the the
1: regular insurance system is so similar as well, because I've had that where my doctor will prescribe a medication because we know it'll work. And they'll tell me, Oh no, we need you to try these three other medications that won't work first because they're cheaper. And so we think that you should just do that first. And if it works, if it doesn't work, So you can be in pain or deal with the symptoms for an additional six months till you try out the three other medications. And then maybe we'll get this medication approved for you. So Or I've had a lot of um, issues where they tell me you don't need that test. But my doctor says I need that test. How are you the insurance company? deciding that I don't need it. And a lot of times it ends up with me paying a pocket and getting it regardless because I don't want to wait. And I know that that is not a luxury that most people have. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, these things take so long and it takes so long to get things under control, especially when it's an invisible, disease when it's an invisible disability, because if there were to be something like physically that they could see, it would be easier to get things pushed through.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. And I think this is, you know, this is why teaching kids advocate, like how to advocate for themselves is so important because, you know, I've experienced a lot of people in the health system, you know, patients that don't know how to advocate for themselves or think that this mediocre <laughs> care that they're getting is just like typical, that's what should be happening, especially in the VA system. You know, I'll, I once talked to um, a person who is who is like, oh yeah, I need a new mobility scooter. Um, mine's not working anymore. And they said, oh, you know, it'll come in about six months. And he's like, you know, the VA is great to me. And I'm just like, but you can't like get around. Yeah. <laughs> like six months is a really, really, you know, like long. That's not normal. That's not okay. Um, You know, and they don't know where to go or who to talk to. Um, and And especially within the VA system. I mean, we have veterans that die on wait lists that stop going because, you know, it's such a struggle to get healthcare. And that happens in the civilian side too, right? Like people, all right, I've tried three different doctors, nobody's taking me seriously. Um, Like, what's the point? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's definitely something that I see more often than not. So I think that it's really important, like you said, to start teaching kids early that there is a point that they can advocate for themselves. They do have a voice and that they do deserve to be listened to because I think that in our society, we've kind of built doctors up as this amazing thing, which they are, but they are not God. And like, they are are not all knowing authority figures. And I think that we're so taught to just take whatever the first doctor says is like, this is Bible, right? This is, this is what it is because they know better. Um, and sometimes we're, we're made fun of when we've Googled things and say, no, I think this is what I have. You know, I think this fits more where it's your body and you live in your body and you've lived in your mm-hmm. body for however many years you, you know, however, however old you are. So, I think it's really important to teach people early to trust their gut and to trust their own body and to be able to make the different decisions for themselves. So I want to know, um, how did you start that with
0: your daughter? And your sure. Well, <laughs> Well, a few things I just wanted to say in response to what you're saying. I mean, yeah. even doctors, you know, it's impossible for them to know everything every single condition out there. I mean, there's some types of Ehlers-Danlos where there's been less than 20 people reported in all of history that have had that type. Um, So even within EDS, you can't know, you know, you can't know every drug that's out there. Um, It's been great doing this book and even though it's not out yet, we've been having like informational booths at different places and, you know, seeing medical providers, nurses come up and like, how did I not know about this? I've never heard of this. Oh my gosh. Like I need to go educate myself. Uh, So a lot of the times, I mean, they just don't know. And plus, um, so I don't know if you know that the mascot for people with Ehlers-Danlos is the zebra. Mm -hmm. And how that came about is because, you know, in med school, um it's not like the tv show like house where it's like every episode it's some sort of rare condition or thing going on right like in in real yeah. life a lot of the time when people go to the doctors it's for typical you know common things so they're kind of you know they're taught like if you hear hoofbeats, think horses not zebras and yeah. so that's how the zebra you know came into play as far as um our mascot. And so just trying to educate, you know, practitioners, like sometimes it is a zebra. Yeah. You know, Uh, as far as my kids, you know, I've always tried to have like honest conversations with them at their age level. And it wasn't just necessarily about advocating for themselves, but just also, you know, what's going on in the world. Um, But from a young age, you know, I told them like hey put your hand up who are five people that you could go talk to if you're having a good day if you're having a bad day if you don't feel safe um you know so it could be a grandparent a teacher you know i said five adults tell me who those you know are so they already had in mind okay if i'm having a really good day or i'm having a bad day or i'm feeling unsafe i could go talk to this person or this person um you know, and as they just started getting older, they're 11 and 13 now, you know, and we have things like, um, you know, George Floyd and protests outside explaining to them, like, why there's people protesting. I might not go, <laughs> you know, I don't go beyond what their age limit is, but I, you know, in the vocabulary, but I explain to them, like, this is why, um, you know, we're with abortion rights and, and women's rights and you know, anybody with the uterus, everybody really, even gay rights too, you know, I say, hey, like some people think this is okay. No, but you have the right to your own body. Nobody should have, you know, the ability to make those decisions for you. Right. Yeah. So teaching them like, okay, I can say no. Right. Grandma wants a hug. You don't want a hugger. You don't have to hug her. <laughs> <laughs> even if grandma gets upset, you know, that kind of thing, um, which my kids are great huggers, but you know, I've always mm-hmm. taught them like, if there's because I've had that. I had that as a kid where it's like, oh, go hug this person. It's like, I don't want to hug you. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you, you don't know that them. person. Yeah. Or even if you do, you're not in a mood to like hug somebody. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's teaching them, you know, if you hear something's going on with a student, who can you talk to if you're concerned about their safety or, you know, if they tell you, you know, that kind of stuff. So just teaching them that critical thinking too, like, okay, this is going on, who can I talk to? Or, you know, what should I do? So then that way, if they're in a situation, you know, they kind of have an idea of what to do. Yeah. So, yeah, that
1: that is really important. And I, I'm glad that you are teaching your, your children, and also now, everyone else's children. A little bit about it. Um, tell me a little bit
0: about the book and what's going on with it. Sure. So every year um, I've had to go to Abby Abby's classes, um, Abigail's classes in elementary school to explain like Ehlers-Danlos. Um, she was having a hard time, you know, it's a hard for her as a kid to try to explain to other kids, right, what EDS is. Uh, so I was going in every, you know, every year And then also just talking about disabilities in general, which I have to say, like elementary school kids are just the best, like they, they really pick it up. So what an adult is doing around those kids really matters because they know, you know, I would take my walker in and I would show them how I walk. And I'm like, what do you think like other adults, you know, think when they see me using it like this and they're like, oh, that you're faking it. Like they knew immediately, like what some of these, these thoughts were. So they're just, they're sponges. So whatever you are doing, they're going to pick up. <laughs> um, but she, you know, she's going into middle school now and, you know, she was, like I said, she just really wanted to do this picture book. She's getting to middle school where it's not just one teacher. And then you kind of go to another class for art and music, right? You have like seven different teachers and seven different classrooms. And I can't go into every single classroom per se and say, Hey, <laughs> um, this is EDS so she like I said she just wanted to do this book and how it's been impacting not only other kids but also adults has just been mind-blowing um I we like I said we've been having tables at we had a table at Milwaukee Pride uh, and Chippewa Valley Pride and going back to EDS and how it connects to everything there is a high correlation of people with EDS that are in the queer community And the autism community. And so I was very lucky that uh, these Pride Fests let me have a table, right? Because EDS isn't (laughs) like flat out LGBTQ themed, right? Right. Um, But just having that up in a banner that has the book and, you know, things like that, you know, we had people, we had adults coming up that had never met someone else with Ehlers Danlos before, that some of them even just started crying. Uh, to see that representation even though it's a picture book right and they're an adult just to see something out there that you know and somebody promoting awareness was really was huge you know the nurse practitioners and the doctors but then also you know teachers and special ed um, was just it was it was so great it was so great and because of this book i actually had the opportunity to go to my son's middle school and talk to all the seventh grade reading classes about Inclusion versus tokenism in literature. And about a month before, I had gone and talked to some of the seventh grade um, reading cl- or science classes because they were learning about the autonomic system. And so, going and talking about, you know, POTS and dysautonomia and the temperature, you know, irregularities. And there was a there was a kid in one of the classes who, you know, mentioned that they had POTS and EDS, Um, you know, and didn't want to talk about it, which is perfectly fine. Right. I'm not going to say like, hey, you know, I was just like, that's cool that you, you know, self-disclosed that you felt comfortable. But then I saw them again in this reading class and they were like sticking their hand up and answering some of my questions and then sharing some of their stories. and. After the class was done, the reading teacher came up to me and she was like, I have never seen this whole entire school year, seeing that kid interact like that. They're always in the back, head down. They don't want to interact. I've tried like different ways trying to reach them and I've been unsuccessful. And she was just like, you have no idea like how impactful this is and how neat it is to see this kid actually like head up, engaging so like I said, this putting out this picture book has just already and it's not out yet has been really influential and I'm excited that I can be a part of that.
1: Yeah, and I so this is live and I understand you have a Kickstarter campaign and tell me a little bit about that and how anybody watching or listening can help.
0: Sure. So if you go to kickstarter.com, you can type in the title of our book, which is Bendy Bones and Stretchy Skin, and you'll see what a campaign come up. And it's, it's a crowdfunding website for those that don't know, and it's all or nothing, which means the creator puts a goal. If they don't reach it, you know, it's not successful or if they reach it, then they can fund their project. So we have this Kickstarter for this book. Um, people can back it without getting any kind of reward or they can get back it and get like a signed copy of the picture book. We have Ally shirts, kind of like the one I'm wearing right now, Make Pride accessible, or the future is accessible. We wanted to make sure we had some sort of disability Ally shirts on there. Earlier this year, we did a Kickstarter for an EDS themed coloring book (laughs) that was, yeah, that was full of all sorts of funny EDS related Uh, puns like flexi and I know it. My joints go out more than I do. I'm not uh, clumsy. I'm just checking gravity, that kind of thing. And it was um, over 800% funded, almost 900% funded. Yeah, it was very successful. Um, And so, yeah, so this Kickstarter campaign is to help us um, publish the book. As far as the publishing costs, it's almost finished being illustrated. We have an awesome illustrator that's actually hand painting all the pages so it's not anything that's been digitally drawn so the images are gorgeous so yeah they can go on until it ends at the end of july but you can go on there and you can check it out you can back it for as little as a dollar share it on social media that would be amazing i'm just really wanting this dream to come true for my daughter and get that book out there to help other kids too
1: yeah and tell me how excited is your daughter that she, that like, this is kind of her project, right? This
0: is Mm -hmm. you
1: making a dream of hers happen. What is that like?
0: It's sometimes I just don't think she even knows (laughs) what's, she's just like, wow, it's constantly, you know, every time I give her an update, it's just like, wow, people care, this is cool kind of, you know, kind of reaction like every time. It could be even that the Kickstarter campaigns got up 2%, she's like super <laughs> shocked and amazed that, you know, cause this is just an offhand, you know, like, oh, I'd really wanna do this, um, but she didn't know how, or I think, you know, you don't think, oh, wow, as a kid, you know, I could put a book out there, right? Yeah. Um, and so the more people are interacting and just, she wasn't at either of those, um, pride fests with me, but telling her like, hey, there was people that were so happy just to see this book out there and representation. I'm like, we had even a couple people in tears, like this really trying to teach her like this really matters. It really does. Um, it was funny because on Monday I had an appointment with my doctor for EDS, Dr. Rudin out at UW um, Health in Madison, and he's one of the top five physicians in the country on EDS. And I hadn't told him, like, I didn't send him a message or anything about our book coming out. And I'm sitting there waiting. And of course, you know, he's a very busy doctor, new patient, it's like a two to three year wait list. Like he's very, you know, in high demand, um, but he pops his head in quick to say, I'm just gonna go do this quick, but I'm really excited about your book, found out about it, want to talk about it with you. Um, And then when he came in, it was like, that was the first thing we talked about for 10 minutes. And he just like heard it through a grapevine, like a nurse had seen, you know, we've been in the news and the paper and, you know, a couple of times had seen it, passed it along to another nurse. And it just kind of came through this grapevine um, to him. And they were just so excited. And, you know, he's like, when it's done, let us know. We're going to purchase a bunch for the clinic and some other clinics. And um, at the end, he's just like, tell your daughter, she's just doing an awesome job. And. You know at the you know afterwards where they have the after summary visit right and they have like number one these are the two three four five these are the things that you're gonna do right before the next appointment number one was congratulations on the book with lots of exclamation marks that's even in my health record (laughs) (laughs) it's happening yeah so it's happening in
1: every way
0: Yeah. So just, you know, like telling her that, like, hey, one of the leading doctors in the country, right, for EDS is super excited and is really proud of you and very supportive. I think it was just like, wow. Okay. Wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's really awesome. And And I'm sure that changes her perspective. Right. It definitely changes the way that we think because, I know that at her age, I thought I did I did not have any influence. I was like, I could not do, I can't make a difference. There's nothing that I can do that will change anything. And it's not true. And especially today when there's so much access to information and social media and you have a voice. Every single person now has a real voice and a real chance to be heard and i think it's really important to teach people as young as your daughter and younger
0: that they can say things and make a difference mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's you know I, I i do a lot of guest speaking and leading training and you know i talk about things that are very personal right being fully disabled how difficult, it can be interacting with people, right? Ableism and ableist language and discrimination. And then of course, you know, PTSD. And so I go and I talk about very personal things, very personal things, you know, and sometimes, you know, people on social media, like my friends and my family, cause I, I post on there too. Um, occasionally I'll get the, like, why are you talking about such personal things? Like those should be, you know, like that's not for, for talking about that's for behind closed doors. And it's like, because I want to be a, you know, I want to be a face. I want to be a beacon of support for people because, you know, I spent a really long time, um, you know, after my service, not thinking that anybody else, you know, thinking that other people hadn't gone through what I had gone through, that there was something wrong with me. You know, I didn't have an advocate for a lot of my medical issues, you know, having that pushback from doctors. So being somebody out there that's talking about it and having a person come up and saying like, I've never met somebody like this or, um, You know, wow, I didn't think about talking about my issues with other people because I didn't think that they would understand or I didn't know how to do that. Thank you for for doing this. Um, So that's why I do what I do. That's why I'm here right now. Right. Is because there's probably someone, you know, listening somewhere going, oh, I have that condition or I know of somebody that has that condition or, you know, I experienced this too, trying to get medical care.
1: Yeah. And representation is important we've seen it over and over and over like we want to see people like us like and we want to know that we are not the only ones out there and and especially for you know the younger generations it's it's going to continue to be important and we can't just stay behind closed doors and like not talk about things it's the same reason that i share off, everything that I share because I didn't know people like me and I had no support. And if you keep, you know, if you keep not talking about something, nothing happens, nothing mm-hmm. changes, nobody understands. And so you have to, and it doesn't mean that every single person with every issue has to talk about it if they don't feel comfortable. But if you feel comfortable to talk about it, then there is going to be somebody that you help just because they heard it. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's whether it's somebody going through a similar situation or somebody that they know, um, you know, that is going through that. It's, it's very true. Very true. Um, what you say.
1: Yeah. So
0: um, is there anything else,
1: any other nuggets of wisdom or anything else going on that you'd love to share with the audience?
0: I think just going back to that you know if if you've got a child in your life whether it's you know your own kids or somebody else's kids or grandkids you're involved with kids in any way right try to you know get them to understand and relate and and figure out how people you know can be different from them and that's not scary I you know I really enjoyed talking um, to the middle schoolers. I was very nervous at first because I never, you know, I've done elementary school and high school. I'd never done middle school. And it was at my son's school and so I'm like you're getting to that age where it's not cool to be seen with your parent. Like I'm getting asked by these teachers to do this, but I will I will say no. I will say no. As much as I want to, I will say no if if you have a problem with that. And, you know, he's just kind of like, no, I don't care. (laughs) Um, But his class was the first science class that I talked to. And he was, like, hiding behind friends the whole entire time I'm talking. But as soon as I was done, which was, you know, five minutes before the bell rang, he, like, came over and talked to me. He's like, no, you did really good. It's cool. And then at the end of the day, when I picked him up, he's like, I just had everybody coming up to me and saying they really liked you being there. (laughs) Because, you know, I talked to every... every... (laughs) <laughs> like their school's big enough where they have three science teachers. Um, so I talked that was when I talked to one full like teacher all day um, and then he was even getting text messages and messages in Snapchat. <laughs> And then I talked to another science class and I even got a makeshift card afterwards because there were students that wanted to say, you know, like, thank you and that they didn't know this stuff about disabilities. I even had some came come up to me like after school, just really wanting to talk to me, um, you know, and then going into that reading class and teaching, you know, the difference between um you know tokenism and inclusion and how the books we read the movies we watch really shape how we interact with people that are different than us i hope i'm not going over am i no, no. <laughs> no, okay <laughs> i could talk about this stuff all day um, perfect <laughs> you no know, but and, and they're so smart that's the thing like you you want to you know, like oh, kids don't want to learn or they're not interested. You just have to find ways that are engaging. Every time I go in, I'm like, look, hey, I am here. I'm not going to just stand up and talk to you. I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to ask for your input. Um, I don't want to listen to somebody just up there straight talking for you know 45 minutes and have no kind of like dialogue or interaction. You know, when I tell kids, I'm very comfortable because I've been talking about this stuff for a very long time. I'm comfortable with ask you know answering the questions that. You know maybe they've never felt comfortable asking someone before but it could be really you know beneficial to their you know to their learning and so you know talking about I, what i did was i kind of wrote um like groups like different communities up there or even just like i said hey veteran like what do you think of immediately when you think of veteran and it was like old white man <laughs> it was like literally every class was like old white man um, and then combat was basically you know it and going through well, I served in the military. you know, like I never deployed, but I have PTSD. Um, you know, I served when I was young, okay. So you know, how does that shape how you interact with me if you think this is you know only only the vet only what a veteran is you know and I had you know I even wrote things like, you know the elderly. all right, what do you generally think about you know, oh, they're old, they can't move, you know, things like that and, You know, I said, hey, raise your hand if you have, you know, a grandparent or, you know, an elderly person that doesn't fit in this. So maybe they, you know, they're 80 and live at home by themselves or they're not in a nursing home or they can walk just fine. You know, and, and so you'd have people that did that. And then people, you know, that would say, you know, they only knew people that kind of fit into those and saying that's going to shape how you interact. Right. If you have a grandparent that's very active, you know, you're going to see that as a spectrum. Right. You're going to know that there's some that there's some aren't. And if you only have experience with elderly people that are very restricted, that's what you're going to assume, you know, people are like, um, you know, if you go up in a community that's mostly white what you're going to learn about people that have different race and ethnicity and different religious beliefs comes from, you know, what the adults teach you, but then movies and TVs and, and books. And those usually, you know, perpetuate stereotypes. (laughs) You know, I would have, you know, I asked some of my friends that are part of different communities, like, hey, what really frustrates you about, you know, media, um, and how people in your community are portrayed and as someone that does a lot of social justice work, you know, there was things that came to mind for me right away. And then there was things that, wow, like I didn't even think of that. So, you know, having, you know, people that are, you know, I have a couple of friends that identify as black and, you know, saying like, oh, it's, they're always the comedic relief. Right. Generally, if it's, you know, a woman, you know, they're bitchy, full of attitude, right. Or they're single poor moms or, you know, just things like that. But then been switching it and talking about other things too, I'm like, wow, yeah, that's, you know, so that's what you're going to think, right? You're going to think, oh, this community is all thugs or terrorists or, you know, this, oh, they're this religious belief. Oh my God. You know, that's what you're going to think if that's, if you don't grow up knowing people that are part of those communities and all you're going off are these books, these movies, these TV shows that are perpetuating these stereotypes um, you know, and explaining, yeah, you know, like there's going to be people that fit into these stereotypes, types, right? You do have elderly that are in nursing home. You do have disabled people that are in a wheelchair that, you know, you can physically see, you know, their disabilities. You have veterans that are old <laughs> white men who have served in a war, right? But, I, you know, just telling them like that doesn't represent the full spectrum, you know, and exactly. saying, okay, diversity and inclusion isn't just checking the box like, oh, you know, we have a movie, we should probably have, you know, a gay person in there and a black person in there or whatever, you know, because then they are just there, right? They don't have their own like subplot or in depth. They're just there to check a box, you know, saying if you're going to have somebody in there, right, really represent a spectrum of people. Don't just go for that stereotype. Um, And so just having them really interact, you know, and asking them, like, how, you know, I asked everybody, like, how do you feel when you see a character like yourself, you know, or you read about a character about yourself? And, you know, there's people that would say, like, I don't feel alone. I know that there's, you know, even though it's a fictional character, you know, for example, like, there's still somebody there that I'm reading about, a character that I'm reading about that mirrors my own, or maybe like, oh, wow, you know, you think you have this condition that you're really limited and, Oh, wow, we're learning about this person. That's a scientist or, (laughs) you know, whatever it is. And, and asking them, like, how would you feel if you never read a character that you could relate to, you know, like, how would that make you feel? And, and just talking to them about how, why representation matters in literature and how we interact with others. Um, And they were very open to that too. We actually, (laughs) it was funny because like I said, there was three science teachers, right? So I'd spoken to two of them, but not to the third one because she was out on maternity leave. But the reading classes had all students like from all those three science classes. And again, my son was getting texts like, why didn't your mom come talk to our science class? (laughs) Like, (laughs) and did you go back and talk? Did you
1: go back and talk to that, to the, that science class later or?
0: No, cause it was right at the end of the school year. Like she got back like two weeks before, but all the three teachers that I talked to, they're like, we'd love to have you come back every year if you're okay with that. And I'm like, sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then you don't have to worry about your son being <laughs> because like, it won't be his
0: class anymore. Yep. (laughs) He was fine with it. I think he kind of was like, oh, people are like excited about my mom. Like, (laughs) I've got the cool mom. He's like, some people say like, you're a really good public speaker. And they've never thought about that for a career. And now they are. (laughs) So it's kind of like this. Yeah, my mom's cool type thing. Um, But now my daughter is going to the same school, but she's used to me coming and talking to our classes. So I don't think there's gonna be, you know, any issue there. But that's really kids awesome. want to learn you know you you engage them they want to learn so yeah. that that's really awesome how did you
1: get into public speaking and doing this
0: so um like i said i got out of the military um and you know i experienced military sexual trauma and at the time there wasn't any programs in place right it was a hush hush this doesn't happen you don't have ptsd you have you know you're bipolar they forced me on medications and um you know i got out thinking all right this is the only thing that ever happened to me maybe you know i exaggerated somehow or whatever um and then this documentary came out called the invisible war uh, which if you are triggered by trauma, be careful with it because, you know, obviously they're talking about sexual trauma. Um, but it was very eye-opening because I'm like, wow, like this isn't an like this is just me. Like, why is nobody talking about this? How do we not know? And, you know, then a Lackland Airbase scandal came out and, and then everybody was talking about it. And then, of course, you know, once that's kind of out of the news, nobody's talking about it again. And I was just thinking like, people need to hear these stories. Um, This really needs to be talked about because it's not as uncommon, right? It's been going on for generations and generations and generations. Um, And so I connected with an organization called Service Women's Action Network. And it was like six months later, they were having an event in Washington, D.C., and I won a full scholarship to go out there and talk to um, politicians about um, MST. And it was the first time that I met other survivors and even loved ones of survivors. So it was very impactful. Um, and I started collecting stories and I actually put it into a theater performance, a theater project called Speaking Out Why I Stand that was performed in a couple of um, states. And so just really going through that and seeing the, you know, impact of stories and how sharing your story, right, can help inspire change and foster deeper discussions. And so, I just haven't stopped talking since. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So, how how can people
1: get in touch with you?
0: Oh, sure. So you can find me on social media. It's my handle is the same for everything at Pay Carter Author. Um, my website's paycarter.com. <laughs> Pretty sure you just type in Pay Carter and you'll find me.
1: <laughs> awesome. Thank you so, so much for being here and for sharing your story and sharing about the book. Um, I think this was a really informative session and and it's going to help someone. So I'm really glad that you took the time and spoke to my audience.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Great. And if uh, you are watching this now or watching this on the replay, please make sure that you like, subscribe, Share this with someone that you think needs to hear it, because I know that there are people out there that do need to hear this. And go to Kickstarter and fund this book, because I'm definitely (laughs) going to do that now. And I want to make sure that this gets out there and we have this additional representation and that kids can see themselves in books. So please go out and do that Um, and I will see you next week for another episode of the Galit Speaks podcast. Thank you so much, Pei.
0: Thank you.